0: Good morning. I'm Dave Mitchell, and I'm one of the employees of Calvary Church, and it's a privilege to be able to serve and work amongst you as well. We are starting a brand new series called Overcoming, and the actual series is going to be through the book of Judges. I've had a lot of people ask me, we thought we were doing Judges today, but I don't see it. Actually, I had two people ask say that to me. But... Um, we will start that next week. Judges is a wonderful book. And if you've got a stomach for it, read through it because it's an incredible story of God's work for the nation of Israel as they go to claim the land. And God will show us how we can overcome some of the things that are taking place in the world today. This morning, I want to show that the main agency through which we can overcome in this world is certainly through the person of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And so I ask the question, what is the happiest place on earth? And you think about what's the happiest place on earth? What place comes to your mind? Of course, Disneyland is the place that often we come to and we think about the happiest place and still you stand in a line for an hour with two little and a three-year-old crying like crazy. Then you realize this is not the happiest place in the world. But I would say that this is not the happiest place in the world. I think that where there should be the happiest places in the world is right here in this room. This is us. This is what we would normally look like. And uh, I know that some will take exception to that because our lives are not always happy, right? There's not always happy things. Yesterday, I was just riding my bicycle out to Cook's Corner. Not my motorcycle, but my my bicycle. And as I'm coming down into Cook's Corner... Uh, you're you're going downhill if you've been out there and you pick up a pretty good speed on a bicycle and it feels really fast when you're going 35 miles per hour down that hill. And as I approached Cook's Corner to turn around into the parking lot, there was a man standing there that looks like the kind of person you thought you would see at Cook's Corner. And uh, probably uh, about my age, fairly youthful. And uh, very long, very long uh, ponytail-ish, grayish hair. He still thinks it's 1965. And and as I pulled up, I started to realize I'm going to run over him because he's looking right at me. And so I slowed down almost to a stop and went around him. And then he said to me, Bicyclists suck. (laughs) I don't know if I can say that here or not, but... And I thought, oh, well... And so then he crossed the street, and so I went over to him... After that, and I said, well, happy new year to you as well. <laughs> it's because I want everybody to be happy in this new year. And then he turned to me and told me to do something anat- anatomic, anatom- ana- <laughs> ananopic. You, you get it. I won't tell you exactly what he said, but you get the idea. It's an impossible thing for me to do. And so it made me realize we got people all around us that are not the happiest people in the world. But we want to bring that to us. And for the place that we can be and the people that we should be, I go to Acts chapter 2 where we will look this morning. In Acts chapter 2, the very last section of this chapter 2 is this. And it says about the church that these people had one mind in the temple breaking bread from house to house. And here's what it says. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. These people were glad. They were sincere of heart. They were praising God. They were positive. There were good things happening in their lives because they were part of the church. And so we're going to emphasize the importance of the church today. The church is a place where God's overcoming power should be unleashed. We see it in Acts 2. Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of the church. There was no church before Acts 2. It was the nation of Israel. It was the kingdom message of Jesus. But the church is giving birth in Acts 2. That's the beginning of the church. I want to talk about God's vision for what we are to be as a church. 2015 and beyond. It is this. It's the church is God's place where Jesus continues to overcome by turning people away from sin and toward righteousness. That's the core. That's the sum total. That's why we exist. It says in Acts chapter 2, verses 30, uh, actually 39 and 40, it should be, For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. This is Peter's very first sermon. He's never preached a sermon before in his life. He went through the betrayal of Jesus. He saw the resurrected Jesus, and Jesus empowered him. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter is one of the greatest preachers that has ever lived. And he preached this wonderful message about the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and that they need to trust in him. And so he preaches to them. That God will call to Himself these who He is preaching to. And with many other words, Peter solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. This was Peter's first message, and he gives the definition of the church in here. I highlight the two. God will call to Himself, be saved from this perverse generation. The word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, Made up of two words, ek meaning out, klasia meaning to call, to call out. As he says to them, God will call to himself those who are saved from this, this perverse generation as Peter referred to it in those days. So we are the called out ones. We're called out of sin. We're called into righteousness. That's who we are as a church. That's who we're supposed to be as a church. So we are the called out of the world, a life of sin, by God's grace, into his kingdom, and the life of Christ. That's who we are to be. And so therefore, one of the things we want to do is we want to plant more churches so people will be reached with the saving truth of Jesus Christ. As we have more of these bodies around, parts of the body I should say, around, the more opportunity is for people to come to know Jesus Christ. Here's a little phrase that I throw around a lot, new groups attract new people. It seems to work almost every time it happens. And so what we want are new groups where new people are being drawn in to the person of Jesus Christ, where there are new portions of the body of Christ, new churches surrounding the communities wherever we are and around the world, where there are new places where God is calling people out of sin into righteousness so they become followers of Jesus Christ and grow in their faith. And so here is the here is the the point that we want. When people are convicted of their sin by the Holy Spirit, are changed by Jesus Christ, the church must show them how to live according to God's Word. A lot of words. You're not going to remember it. That's why I have an outline in the bulletin so you can refer to it later. But we are to be that church that we're, where lives are truly being changed. Convicted by their sin, Peter says. By the Holy Spirit. As he preached about Jesus being crucified, buried and resurrected, it says the Holy Spirit was piercing their hearts. They were being convicted of sin. It says in Acts chapter two thirty-seven, and when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? I love that question. What shall we do? And so the question is this, that they're asking, in light of the fact that Jesus died upon the cross, was buried, rose again, and Peter uses all this background Old Testament support of this prophetic word that Christ would die, being fulfilled in Christ. It's an amazing sermon in Acts 2. But the bottom line is for these people, that the Holy Spirit was convicting them that there is something wrong that needs to be fixed. And they're wondering, in light of this conviction of the Holy Spirit, what should we do? So here's the question. The church's answer, what should we do? What is the church supposed to do? What is, why do we exist? Is the answer to what shall we do that we should go build homes for the homeless? It's a good thing. There's a lot of organizations that will try to do that. We should be one of them. Is the, uh, what shall we do that we should go out and feed those who are hungry? here and around, the, and around the world, provide water for those who do not have water here and around the world? Well, that's a good thing. and that There are a lot of secular organizations and religious organizations doing that. Those are good things. Should we go around the world and help to heal those who have Ebola and minister to them God's healing grace with medicine and just the divine power of God? Well, that, that's a good thing to do. And should we bring justice where there is no justice? For the downtrodden, for the poor, should we sell all that we have and give it to the poor? Is, is that what the churches should do? Well, those are all good things. They, they should be part of things that we are part of as well. But there are wonderful organizations that are secular that have probably no faith in Christ that maybe are atheistic who do those things as well. The answer that Peter gives to us is, what shall we do? When the people said, what should we do? What should the church do? Here's Peter's response. He said to them, repent. Each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's not exactly the things that makes for headlines. That's not the stuff that gets a, new, gets a church on the front page of notoriety. Because what God is saying is that I'm, I want you to do good deeds, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But the core of who we are as a church, the core thing that we're here to do is to call people to repentance, to call people to the reality of sin, to bring forgiveness into their lives, to change their heart. To change their inner core. To dramatically change their destination from hell to heaven. to, To restore a broken relationship with a holy God. To place them into a state of righteousness. And there's a lot of us in this world today who simply don't see that as a big deal. Well, God says if you're not doing that as a church, then you're not doing what the church is called to do. That's it. Everything else comes out of that. That's the core. That's the essence. Without that, we're not called out of anything. We're still in it. So we're called out of sin into righteousness, and we preach, repent, change, ask for forgiveness, change your ways, go the other direction from sin, head towards God through the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we're here to do. So this is here are three things we should be about. We should be a place for spiritual change and growth toward maturity in Christ. We should be a growing institution. We should be people who are constantly reforming our lives, where we're not the way we were five years ago or ten years ago. There's a transitional, transformational, restorative work where God is changing us as people so we are different than we used to be. To be sanctified, Paul often refers to the church as the sanctified ones. To be sanctified is to be called different. I am different from the world. I am different from sin. I am not like the way the world operates. I am unique in the righteousness of God. That's who we are. So there's a spiritual transformation that's going on. That's why it says in Acts 2, here is what happens when repentance occurs, when forgiveness is in my heart, when my heart changes from the sinful way to the righteous way, then there's a dramatic manifestation of that in the lives around me. It's what happens in Acts 2. After Peter preached that message, as people were being saved, this is what happened. So then, those who had received his word were baptized. And that day, there were added about 3,000 souls. That's a huge revival. 3,000 people getting baptized. Now, remember, Baptism in those days is not like baptism today. It was not infant baptism. There's a lot of good churches that do that. If it's for the cause of dedicating to the uh, rearing of that child for the person, person of Jesus Christ, that can be a good thing. But baptism for them were adults. These are adults who are being saved in midlife. And to be baptized, the word baptizo means to change my identity. I am changing from who I once was. For a Jewish person hearing this Jewish preacher, Peter... Preach to them that this Jewish Messiah, Jesus, died for them, buried for them, rose again for them, that this Jewish Messiah is calling me as a Jewish man or woman... To be baptized is to say that my Judaism, my past, my whole family structure and all that we have believed is now to be put aside so that I have become a brand new person in Jesus Christ. And for a lot of these people who are being baptized, they're changing their identity and they're changing it in such a way that their family actually cuts them off from all inheritance, from education, from whatever welfare system there is that is uh, locally available for them, they are truly being isolated and alienated. You even see that if you go over to the Middle East today. And so these people are serious. They are making a public demonstration that they are different, that they are called out. And they don't want anybody to confuse the fact that they now identify with Jesus and His body called the church. We are the called out ones. And 3,000 of them did that. And it was a costly factor for them. As it goes on, it says, And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. There was a dramatic change that was happening in these people's lives. There was a sense of awe and wonders and miracles were taking place. They were studying God's word. They were having a connection with one another in a way that they never had known it before. There are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. They were part of a spiritual family that was never in existence before. They're finally having a connection with the holy God and with other people that seek to follow him. It is a dramatic change. They couldn't help but want to be together. They would never forsake the assembling of to themselves together, is the way Hebrews calls for it. So it's a dramatic change. That's why we have life groups here, so people can connect with one another. That's why we encourage fellowship we encourage the breaking of bread, we encourage prayer. Those are all the essence of it. One of the key elements of what makes us different from all other organizations in the world today is what Paul says about the Word of God. In Second Timothy 2, he says, remind them of these things and solemnly charge them. He says to Timothy, the pastor of the church at Ephesus, he says, charge them in the presence of God. Don't wrangle about words which are useless and leads to the ruin of hearers. In other words, don't get caught up in all the minutiae of opinions. Don't get led astray by political causes and wording of who I believe in and what I follow And in the realm of, of the way the world thinks of being important. Don't get caught up in the, in the tips and techniques of neat ideas that aren't grounded in God's Word. There's a lot of places we can go and hear the wrangling of words that have maybe temporal value of sometimes helping me today but don't ground me in who i am as the church don't get caught up in these personal opinions but be diligent to present yourself approved to god as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth there is truth it's absolute don't get up there and when you preach timothy say i think i think we should do this preach Timothy, when you get up there, God has told us to do this. Timothy, don't be shy and retiring about what is true. Don't be fearful of being bold about what is wrong, but clearly teach what God has said. Don't wrangle about words of opinions, but give them the word of truth. Avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it only lead to further ungodliness. Make sure that the substance of what you say to them, Timothy, is clearly a profound exposition from God's Word. That is what the church is to do. And if the church doesn't do that, if the church doesn't live according to this, no one will do it. Either we do it, no one does it. And that's the essence. We grow, we spiritually grow by the nurturing of God's Word, the fellowship of God's people, the prayer from God's power, and this awesome power that He sees in them, wonders and miracles being taking place. We have a challenge. When it comes to church today, the unchurched population in 1990 was 30%. Today, it's 43%. We have lost ground. We also saw that uh, those who have never attended church grew from 15% to 23% in the last 20 years. That's not a good trend. We also realize that regular church attender today, it used to be I will attend church, and I consider to myself to be a regular church attender if I am in church three to four Sundays out of a month. Today, a person will identify, self-identify, as a regular church attender if he or she attends at least once or twice. That's not a trend that's encouraging to people like me employed by the local church. But there is still hope. Seven percent in our country today have a negative view of the church in their community. Conversely, 93 percent think that there is value in the fact that the local church is in their community. When churches begin to do good works and good deeds for the needs of the people in our community, they begin to see that there is a value, that there is a place. That people actually care and they care altruistically. They care not for what they get back. They care because they should give. They care because God has done a change in their lives. They care because there is no longer a selfish, sinful motivation. They care because we are selfless and giving like Christ was. We love people in spite of how they love back. Even if they tell us to do things that we don't want to do when we're riding our bicycle. We still have an obligation to love them. Because God has changed my heart. And when He changed my heart, He changed my view. When He changes my view, I treat people differently. I don't treat people the way the world would treat people. I treat people the way Jesus did. And so we are here to change that. Secondly, the reason there are a lot of people, 93%, have a very positive view of a church in the community, even if they don't go to the church, there's sort of a positive feel to it. Why is that? Here's the second point. We need to be a place for reaching out in love and grace, sharing generously to meet personal needs. That's what the church did. After they heard the apostles' teaching, after they heard the word of truth, after they fellowshiped together, they were baptized, they committed themselves to Jesus, they said, I'm a brand new person, called out. Then they began to change their priorities in life. And that's what happens next. And all those who believe were together together. And they had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. They didn't have a financial campaign. They didn't hire a public relations leader to help them market how to get people to give more. They didn't even have a Dave Ramsey stewardship class. They're good. We're doing it. We want people to be part of that. But they didn't do any of that. They just had their lives changed and suddenly their priorities changed and they began to give and give and give in ways they'd never done that before. It was so opposite to the way they used to live. And they began to give and were sharing generously with all. As a church, if we're called out of sin and into righteousness, it should be reflected in our wallet. It should be reflected in our checkbook. It should be reflected in our debit card. It should be reflected in our online banking. Those things should look different because I'm different. Because everything that I do is different than the way I used to do it before Jesus changed my life. This last, two days ago, I was reading through the newspaper. I love to read the newspaper. love to read online news. I came across an Instagram. It's this Instagram where I took a picture of it. There's somebody out there, and I only wished he'd lived in Orange County, but there's somebody out there that goes to places like he did in Arizona where he went to a bar and he had about a $1,000 bill to which he added a $10,000 tip. So I looked that up, said, who is this guy and how can I meet him? Here is a picture of one of the receipts when he was in Notre Dame in Indiana He went to a restaurant called Legends of Notre Dame. And Ashley was his server. And Ashley served him a meal that cost him $368. And then he left her a $5,000 tip. And what it says on the Instagram is this. I don't know if you can read it better up here. Yeah, tips for Jesus. Doing the Lord's work one tip at a time. I don't know who this guy is. I don't know what his story is. But he captures something that I think is so winsome and attractive. Why did this get such publicity online in the newspaper? Because this guy was generous beyond what anyone would ever think anyone would ever do in their life. And I hope he's a true follower of Jesus. I used to say, when you come to church, don't tip him. You can tip him if this is the way you tip him. But what we need are people who are dramatically changed and they're giving generously and it's part of doing the Lord's work. That's what I love about this guy. He sees it as doing God's work. Not because I have to. Oh, all the church wants is my money and all this kind of complaining that goes on. Not for those who have been changed. It's a joy to be part of that. One of the ways we do that and have seen that around the world is a lot of us were in Albania. Not a lot of us, but a number of us were in Albania just this last year. This is one of the places we're helping partner with a church for church plants in Albania. And here on the screen you can see uh, there's an elderly man that looks a lot like me in the middle of the screen there. And uh, what would be on your left and what would be on my right is a young lady by the name of Sabrina. She was our interpreter. Her mother teaches at the English language school of uh, the, the church there, that Pastor Bertie, who was in the red shirt on my left and, and on your left, um, anyways, yeah, you're right, there you go, uh, and he is the pastor of that church there. We're trying to partner with them. One of, the, one of the goals that I have personally, sort of taking this on, and some of you are, are helping out, is that Sabrina, this young, beautiful young lady here, beautiful heart, I'm doing all that we can to get her to come to Biola. So, wh- what would happen if we bring an Albanian young lady, I think there's probably never been an Albanian that's gone to Biola, and for four years you get 30 units of Bible, and you go back there, and she wants to do, she wants to go back to Albania, and have a spiritual impact upon the nation of Albania and her community of Lushnia in particular. We want to make an impact, and sometimes it's going around the world to bring them here, to send them back. And one of the things that Pastor Birdie and his church congregation did is to reach out to this little village that's right outside of Lushnia. And we went there, met a lot of these people whose lives are being touched because teams of people have gone and Pastor Birdie has provided leadership where he's come and helped this little woman here and her broken-down shack of a home so that she could actually have a home in which she could properly live in in those days and such as they are, very different from us today. You can see on the uh, wall there the wire They don't have codes uh, over there. So you just string it wherever you want to. But as long as it works, right? And so they are making a difference. Here is a church in Albania, one of the poorest nations around, where there is a spirit of generosity and we're partnering with them to help make that happen. And hopefully, Lord willing, a new church will be growing in this little village that's outside of Lushnia. And then finally not only should we be a place where we are spiritually growing, not only should we be a place where we are sharing generously with others, but as a church, we should be a place where salvation is actually entering into people's lives through Jesus Christ. Not for what we do, but for what God is doing. Notice what happens. In Acts chapter 2, the last couple of verses, and day by day, as these people grew in their faith, shared generously with others in reaching out, they began to see this result. Day by day, continuing with one mind of the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. It was truly something happy going on there. Even though they were, they were really leaving behind many of their family members by their baptisms and their changed identity. But they were continuing with a gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God. And here's the beautiful thing about these believers. And they were having favor with all the people. The people of the community liked them. There was something attractive about them. They had this spirit and this attitude and this generosity that was drawing the, the Jerusalem people and the, all the surrounding nations that had come to the day of Pentecost. So they gathered together. So these people are spectacular. We, we actually like these people who claim Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They're winsome and attractive and generous. And so they were having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who are being saved. It's just incredible changes. And so when God changes my life and calls me out of sin and into righteousness, my life begins to grow, begins to change, begins to improve. I'm not who I once was, I'm different. And it's reflected in the relationships of my life, in my marriage, in my parenting in my business, in my finances, they're all being touched by Jesus. They should be making a difference. Let me tell you one last story of 2014. The story that really caught my heart the most is this story. Here's a Rosaria Butterfield, Champagne Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. Here is her self-described uh, bio message. She says, As a leftist lesbian professor... I despised Christians, then somehow I became one. You haven't heard her story. It's incredible. She's a professor of a university. She was working on her tenure track, and she hated people like us. Why? Because she would hear people like Pat Robertson get on the TV and claim that the problem with women who are liberals is they begin to leave their husbands, kill their babies, follow witchcraft, and do all kinds of evil in this world. And she said, I hear Pat Robertson say things like that and just spew out this, this kind of vitriol. And he says, I want nothing to do with Christians. And so she went on this journey where she wanted to write against you and me, the so-called religious right. And she wrote an article. She wrote an article in the newspaper. It was an editorial and it was posted. And she says, I want her to, I want her to attack the holy trinity of Jesus, Republicans, and the local church. Because I'm sick and tired of the way they stand and position themselves and their kind of posture on women. She says, I have my mate, she was partnered with another lesbian woman. And so they would do all kinds of things. They would fight against AIDS, they would find world relief. They would, uh, she said, I even supported Golden Retriever rescue, uh, you know, work. She said, we did all kinds of things. She said, we and my lesbian partner, we love morality. We want to do the right thing. We wanted to make a positive difference in this world. But one of the things that really irritated me are Christians in the local church and their stance and views on things and the way they would position it. It was just so offensive to me. And so one day she said, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to take them on. She said, but I'm going to have to do one thing that I've never had to do before. She said, that one thing is that I'm going to have to actually read what they study so she began to read the bible first time in her life because i want to understand why are these people doing what they're doing where are they getting this stuff from so she begins to read the bible and she uh, the more she read the bible it's interesting she had a transgender friend who came to her and says rosaria the more i hear you reading the bible the different more different you're becoming she said it was just incredible And so she said, well, I need to have contacts with people. And so she posted this article about the unholy trinity of Jesus, Republicans, and the church. And she started getting a lot of hate mail. And then she started getting a lot of fan mail. And then she got one other letter that caught her attention. It came from a guy by the name of Ken Smith. Ken Smith is the pastor of the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church in New York. And he wrote to her and says, Rosario... I'd like to ask you about some of the presuppositions that you have for what you believe in and why you believe it and how you support what you say you support. And when she read that, she just crumpled up and threw it in the trash, she said. The next day, she went to her trash can and pulled it back out and began to read it again. And so she contacted Ken Smith. And they struck up a relationship. And she said it was a relationship that spanned over two years of time. And what Rosaria said is that what happened is that Ken and his wife Floyd, they brought the church to her, and they actually had a friendly time together. I want you to read, I want to read just a couple of paragraphs that she wrote about the experience with Ken Smith and his wife Floyd. Something ha- happened. Ken and his wife Floy and I became friends. They entered my world. They met my friends. We did book exchanges. We talked openly about sexuality and politics. They did not act as if such conversations were polluting them. They did not treat me like a blank slate. When we ate together, Ken prayed in a way I'd never heard him pray before. His prayers were intimate. They were vulnerable. He repented of his sin in front of me. He thanked God for all good things. Ken's God was holy and firm, yet full of mercy. And Because Ken and Floyd did not not invite me to church, I knew I was in safe hands. And so she said, I started reading the Bible more, learning all about this. And she said this, as God began to touch her heart, she actually got out of bed one Sunday morning. She said, I got out of the bed with my lesbian partner and my butch haircut, and I went to the, the Syracuse uh, Reformed Presbyterian Church. She thought I knew that people would look at me in an odd way because I didn't fit the model of what most of them looked like. But she went to that church, and here's what she says about what God began to do. She says, I did not want this. I did not ask for this. I counted the costs, and I did not like the math on the other side of the equal sign of God beginning to change her heart. And she heard Ken preach a message after a couple years of this going on. And he preached a message that said, ask from God a willingness to understand and respond. Don't ask to respond. Just ask for a willingness to respond. And she said, that really touched my heart. And she said, I prayed for that. I asked that. And here's the way she wraps it up in her own accounting of this story. Then one ordinary day I came to Jesus, open-handed and naked. In this war of worldviews, kin was there, Floyd was there. The church had been praying for me for years, was there. Jesus triumphed, and I was a broken mess. Conversion was a train wreck. I did not want to lose everything that I loved, but the voice of God sang a sanguine love song in the rubble of my heart. I weakly believe that if Jesus could conquer death, He could make my world right. I drank tentatively at first, then passionately of the solace of the Holy Spirit. I rested in private peace, then community, and today in the shelter of a covenant family where one calls me wife and many call me mom- mother. I have not forgotten the blood that Jesus surrendered His life for me. God calls people out in ways that we can't. But it comes out of a community, out of a relationship, out of love and grace. As Ken and Floyd Smith reached into her world and presented to her what a community that has changed looks like. This Rosaria Champagne Butterfield, the leftist lesbian professor, is now the wife of a pastor of the First Reformed Presbyterian Church of Durham, North Carolina. Just incredible. We want more stories like that. We want them right here in Orange County. But it comes out of a community. comes out of relationships where people are called out by the Holy Spirit, not by the likes of me or you. But we can be part of that message when the church is doing what the church is called to do. So I invite us to be that church that truly sees that difference that Jesus can make in people's lives. Let me pray for us. Father God, I pray that we would be that church where lives are truly being changed, where we're making a difference because we're growing, we're giving, we're reaching, so that you add to the numbers those who are being saved. Father, I pray that in some spectacular way, because of the way we live in a generous, gracious, loving spirit, we would have favor with the people that surround us in our community, our country, and our world. God, that doesn't come easily. Help us to be the people that draws people to you. Help us to be the community who are called out and into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Help us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.